Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. My guest on Talk Design today is Kevin from the Ranch Mine in Phoenix, Arizona. Kevin has got a beautiful body of work, and I, I'm not going to just give him all the credit, actually. His wife, Claire, has probably got even a better body of work than him, but we're not, we're not, she's not here, so we don't have to talk about that. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Kevin, welcome to the show. Um, I'm Thanks really, for having me. Yeah, it's really cool to have you here. Um, we've had a great little chat before we started recording as well. Yeah. One of the things that I'd like to like kick off with is um, it's this thing of, uh, you know, what we do in our spare time and hiking is one of these things. And, you know, you're, I love to hike. You love mm-hmm. to hike. Yep. Give me like a couple of close by hikes that are really cool. That, that would be a cool family thing to do. You've got a two-year-old daughter. Where would you take yep. it? Um, what's something fun and that you don't end up so far out back that sure. uh, you go, oh, my God, we can't get home in time. Yeah. Our go-to spot in Phoenix is just the Phoenix Mountain Preserve. It's about 10 minutes from our house, so we can get there in a good amount of time. And then there's all these trails, so you can either go up to the highest peak in Phoenix, uh, which is Piestua Peak, or you can kind of go back into the valley, which is much more sort of uh, hills than, than mountains and through the saguaros and the cactus fields and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's typically where we go is because it gives us options once we park where we can do a variety of different hikes. Um, but it's only about 10 minutes away. Um, and so you can choose if you're going to do, you know, an hour long hike, two hour long hike, cool. et cetera. Yeah. Uh, which is per- with perfect with having a, with having a baby. <laughs> yeah, sure. It, it, you know, that's one of the things I remember traveling, um, in the States, uh, when we had our first daughter, who's now 18 years old, but um, she was 18 months old at the time, and we were up in uh, Montana and um, Idaho and stuff like that. And one of these things was, is I'd, I'd be all you know, geared up to set off for a day or so, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, but for three or four hours, and it'd be like my wife would be looking at me going, even though we right. had no idea, she'd be going, no, no, that's too far, <laughs> that's yeah. too far. Yeah, <laughs> but it is a really joyful experience with young kids to um to see the world through their eyes. For sure, you know, for and sure, the high level of tactility that they have um mm-hmm. is something really special as well. I yeah. really love that. You know, they want to touch and hold and put everything in their mouths and stuff, but they, you know, that high tactile thing. And so often we that dulls down in our senses as we get older you know we we take it for granted as such where yeah. they and they're fascinated by you know the simplest uh, form of two pebbles on the ground and yeah. the shadow that it throws and so often we look past that now you know for sure yeah you definitely yeah. see it through through a different lens and and appreciate the little things more for sure sure and and when it comes to you know translating architecture you know we're part of the, the game of it is is obviously the light and how it falls and all those things and I look at that and I go if you take yourself back to child's eye and see it with wonderment and then see it again you know it, it just adds depth adds depth yes I love mm-hmm. that so 
Your firm, The Ranch Mine, how did it get called The Ranch Mine? What, what, what's the go with that? Tell me about yeah, it. Yes. So we started, uh, I moved out uh, to Phoenix from the northeastern part of the U.S. Um, and was unemployed at the time and had just met my wife, Claire. And so she was a native from Phoenix. And we decided uh, while we were applying to jobs and stuff to just sort of travel around the state just to get me sort of accustomed to it. And, you know, for her, just exploring it again. And we would just go everywhere in Arizona, just little day trips to all these different places. And we saw really a lot of ranching and we saw a lot of mining in the different places. And those were really the two industries that created Arizona. And then when we started our firm, we purchased a ranch house. And we said, we kind of joked that we were mining the ranch for, for the gem within uh, this, this old ranch house. And so it's kind of a double meeting there. And that's where we came up with, we didn't want to have a typical sort of firm name that's like Costello Architecture or yeah. you know anything like that. Yeah. yeah, we didn't want to do the last name architecture or this studio or whatever. We wanted to do something a little bit different, a little bit more localized. And, and so that's when we came up with the ranch mine. I love the name, mate. The name um, brings up pictures. It brings up... Yeah. For me, it throws up old Western pictures and stuff like that and of the land yep. as well, you know. Exactly. Uh, I, think, I think about when I was talking to Tom Kundig and he talks about the industry part of all the stuff that he saw growing up as a kid and with that how it influences his work still, you know, and it influences his view on stuff and being in an environment like that and how it does influence the work that you guys do. See, so yeah. you, you guys have won a bunch of awards for doing amazing work. Um, if you had to say what your style was, what would it be? Because it's pretty buried. <laughs> the, uh, the what was that? What are well, what, what, what your style? Like, if you had a style, signature yeah. or if you had a yeah something that people come to you directly for because they know that you're the the people that do that. What would that be? Yeah, it's not really an aesthetic thing. I mean, we say modern just because that's the large umbrella that it falls under. But I would say indoor-outdoor living is the thing that people typically come to us for, is they want places that sort of live differently um, than their current places. And we put a huge focus on connecting with the outdoors in all yeah. of our projects. So yeah. the, the look of it might be different from house to house, but the, the flow and the connection to the outdoors, that's our primary focus with almost all of our projects. Yeah, you can see that in your work as well. And it's something that, um, look, uh, there are definitely architects who do a lot of it, but something that in America we see so often, things closed up because yeah. of the air conditioning and stuff. And so one of my, here where I am in Queensland, in Australia, we'll open things up. We still need to be able to close them down, but we open things up a lot. So we've got a lot of natural airflow and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, you've got desert air a lot of the time. Well, that's in, in Phoenix you do. Um, yeah. So so you've got like heat and cold, um, mm -hmm. you know, as the temperatures drop at night and it chills down. Yeah, so, yeah you definitely get a wide range of temperatures here. Yeah. The, the benefit that we have for indoor-outdoor living is about seven to eight months of the year, the weather is really nice. Um, and we don't really have many bugs. Um, oh, right. because it's, we don't yeah. really have, there's some mosquitoes, very few, and they're only here in the summer when you wouldn't have the doors open anyway. Um, and so in the winter time, when the weather, you know, the daytime temps are around 60, 70 degrees, which is very nice. It's like room temperature, essentially. Sure. 
um, uh, you know, people live with their doors open and it's a very sort of indoor outdoor uh, environment uh, if you design it that way. But yeah, so many people rely on air conditioning and we just saw that, you know, I think it's like 90% of our time as humans now is, is indoors and it's creating this sort of physical and mental stress uh, on, on our bodies because uh, we're, you know, we evolved to be, you know, outdoor creatures. Uh, that's what so we are. Um, and so we just found uh, that people feel way more connected with their environment, with their family and friends and everything when they do have that connection to nature. Um, and so that's our primary focus. Yeah, I think you guys do a beautiful job of blurring the lines. You know, this is home and this is outside of, or this is the house and this is outside of the house. Um, so right. the home actually becomes the lot or the whole plot or the, you know, the, the, the branch exactly. or whatever it's on so that the structure is the shelter that's within that, no different than if it was a tree and a cow yep. would stand under a tree. I think exactly. that's, it, it shows up in your work. And that's why I was like, right. well, what, what's that little, what's the, the piece that um yes. so let's jump right back um you're from connecticut mm -hmm. um tell us about growing up and what influenced you and what what why architecture you know like was there was there nothing else you could do with your creativity or what? <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question uh so growing up in connecticut it was really nice um I grew up in a small town called Guilford. It's right on the water in Connecticut. Connecticut doesn't uh, Connecticut doesn't really have um, oceanfront. It's a it's a sound between New, New York. There's an island, Long Island, that comes up New York and creates a sort of sound there. So it's not like big waves or anything. So it's just more of a it's like half freshwater, half saltwater uh, kind of area. So I grew up um, not on the water, but inland a little bit, but on a town that's on the water. And um, I have a brother and sister. Um, pretty regular family older, um, older or younger i've got an older brother and a younger sister okay cool. the middle yeah. child so um, you took the beatings my... the beatings from <laughs> your brother <laughs> yes yes exactly uh yeah so we uh and we're all about three years apart which is nice but um my dad um was trained as a civil engineer and he designed and built the house that i grew up in yeah, wow. um, and so literally every morning I would eat breakfast and up on the wall were the blueprints of the house. Um, so I think subconsciously that was just coming to me every day. Um, and uh, he had always had a passion for uh, architecture as well as history. And so growing up in sort of the older part of the United States, yeah. we would often go to trips, you know, here's the oldest house in America or here's, you know, uh, where the founding fathers were and all this kind of stuff. The, uh, history's, history and, the history's condensed there. That's part of yes. it as well. So, it, and it's um, whilst it's uh, it's a lot of European history there. And European history, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, so we there's would, lots of native history, but it's not. Uh, you don't see it as much as you do, like when you're yeah. out west, where the space is wider and there's yeah. It's more spread out, harder to get to. It's also hasn't been kept up like the history in of the course. Northeastern part. Yeah. Right. So, so we'd go to all those buildings and that kind of stuff. We would go to even like, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright building or, you know, things like that. And my dad would always point that kind of stuff out. And um, so I think that's where I got. He probably, yeah, he layered in the, um, yeah. He yeah. layered in the, Which is, his passion. Yeah. Yes, for sure. And what's funny though, is like as an engineer, they're always kind of like architects are, you know, <laughs> you know, they, they don't really, they don't really love architects, but um, we haven't but interviewed he, an engineer on the show yet. 
Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to find one. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's where I think I got the passion and, um, and I thought about being an engineer as well, but I I wasn't like a huge into math kind of person, um, and was much more creative. And I always was doing projects growing up. I just loved to do anything that was a project rather than like a test. I I always prefer creating something. It It didn't matter what it was, whether it was making music or videos or all sorts of things. We just always want to be doing something where we, we spend time creating something and then we have something at the end. Um, I just always love that process. I always think essentially that's a builder mentality. Like, you know, the, the, it's the, it's the, I want to start something. So you've got the creative part and the creator part, and then mm-hmm. you want an outcome from it at the other end. And there's yeah. other people who just want to do little bits of things, but yeah, I grew up as a kid similarly in the sense of wanting to create things all the time, whether it be yeah. build a model or whether it be whatever it was, you know. I And I, I, I look at young kids. You've got, you know, daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had a six, a, a three-year-old trapped with us for six weeks with our COVID lockdowns. So he's, um, he's my kid's cousin and... Um, we had him at our place. His parents were states away. And uh, it was really interesting because, again, that creator, that just very tactile, hands-on, and he's a he's a, a really cool boy. And he was just like, and I've got two girls, but he was like, yeah, just very boyish, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also um, just, yeah, how can I put this and this and these pieces together and create things and then get to the point of making, whether it be a, a painting or whatever it was. Yeah. It was, yep. you know, yeah. constantly that would be his main kind of thing. We, we, Becky, my wife bought him a train set when he was here and, um, you know, I'd come in and the train set would come out of his bedroom and go all the way down the hallway and into one of the girls' bedrooms. So yep. you'd just lay it out and it'd be like zoo, 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 as it went each corner because, of course, it had lots of corners and not so many straights. Yeah. Yeah, just that yeah. creator mentality again, a builder mentality. Yeah, I, I usually didn't even like getting stuff, you know, toys early on that were fully done i would prefer yeah. like I, I also love sports i would take my legos and i create stadiums to play my little games with my figurines in you know yeah, rather right. than just play with the figurines or whatever it's like no i want to create the stadium as, as well and then play the sport um and so it was always just doing stuff like that and um and then eventually yeah i chose to to go to school for architecture yeah so, something clicked and you went oh yeah. we'll, we'll do this next yeah. That's really cool. It's uh, it's it's always fascinating to hear how people come across it. Um, I was talking to a, one of my friends in Texas, and he ended up he he was around architecture because he lived in the same street as the NASA as the NASA um, astronauts, oh. and um, they all lived in mid-century modern homes, and he got this taste of what that was like, and uh, and that fascination just bred and bred and bred from there yeah that's really cool cool. Um, so then because Claire's not here Mm -hmm. um, how did how did she did you meet at architectural school what happened how did that happen so I actually met her here in Phoenix so I finished my architecture school um, and then I moved out to Phoenix I got packed up everything the day after graduation and moved across the country did you drive Um, across I drove across of course 
Brisk is a great way, great way to see the country. I drove over the Rocky Mountains and yeah, it was awesome. be- beautiful. Um, and then I came to Phoenix where I had a good friend who was moving here as well. Um, and he uh, went to the University of Colorado with Claire. Uh, and he said, hey, my good friend is moving here back home uh, from school. And uh, so I met her literally the first day that I moved here. And she actually didn't study architecture. So she studied um, English and communications. Um, and wanted to be a business owner. That was sort of her uh, okay. goal. She was she was considering going to business school and, so and she was doing all be that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so she was looking to potentially apply to grad schools for uh, business school and that kind of stuff. And we were kind of like, hey, maybe we just start a business instead of <laughs> go to school for it. And so she's, she put you to work. Yeah, she's she's the boss, and she um, she runs she runs the company, and um, has really leapt in. You know, she's the kind of person who can just um, any task she'll just take it on. It doesn't she'll yeah. she'll learn it, take it on, and, and it's just perfect for a small business. And and sort of fit. I I'm more of the specialty, and yeah. she kind of fills in everything else, which is an incredible talent to be able to kind of just, you know, oh, you need me to be an accountant today. I'll do that. Yeah. I'll do that part for you. Yeah. I'll learn, I'll learn how to do all the taxes and all that kind of stuff. Like, don't worry about that. You know, it's just like, you know, oh, we need to do this. I'll do that. And um, just fills in everything um, that I can't do and then works out pretty nicely. That's pretty cool. I love that. My wife's a business coach. Um, And again, she, she comes from that kind of, I suppose, thinking of being um, a business owner is her, yep. that, that's her, her genre um, and an entrepreneur. And, and, you know, it wouldn't really matter what the business is if she can look at it and go, this is how you would best do these things. We don't, um, we don't actually work together in this firm. <laughs> I ask her, for, ask her for advice and stuff like that. And she has sure. her own own business. But, you know, we've owned various businesses together as well as um, she has worked with me here. Uh, and then, but she's always had a coaching practice for many, many years. She's had a coaching practice. Um, and, you know, she sits on boards of directors and stuff like that, which is, um, yeah, really hugely valuable for insight. And yep. yeah, but I drive her crazy. So unlike, <laughs> unlike you don't drive Claire crazy, obviously you go to work and do as you're told. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you're, yep. you're a good, a good team member. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's really cool though, that you could um, combine um, clearly your passion for architecture and design and her passion for business and mm-hmm. pull the things together to make a yep. successful firm. So it's yeah, and cool. she she unfortunately she also really enjoyed growing up building and interior design and that sort yeah. of stuff. So it wasn't it wasn't something that she was not interested in at all. She even her aunt and uncle lived down in Tucson and uh, she helped them build a rammed earth ho- uh, home down there, you know, when she was yeah. 10 or 11 years old, she was shoveling some dirt. So she's always been a hands-on and sort of into that kind of stuff too. So it fit, you know, pretty nicely. Yeah. Sounds fantastic. Sounds really, really cool. Um, so tell me with, um, you know, like you've got a two-year-old and um, you've got team of, is it five in total? There's five yeah, of you. Five total. Yeah. And you were saying to me before that you all work remotely. So you all work mm-hmm. from home? Yes, we all work at our individual homes. Yeah. 
So tell me how this works with team culture and creative culture. Um, give me give me a snapshot into that because again we're we're in this COVID cycle and yep. um, you know things are still shifting quickly and mm-hmm. the landscape in front of us is um, and I don't mean the physical landscape I mean I do kind of but I mean mm-hmm. the the landscape of where we will end up and how it will affect us. You know, people were saying at the start of COVID, oh, this is the new normal or, or when we get back to what it was, we're never going back. We're, yeah. it, we're only moving forward. So what, um, as, a, as, a, as a business owner who went, uh-huh. okay, my team's at home, yeah. tell, tell me about that. And first of all, team engagement, your own team mm-hmm. engagement, and then I'll ask sure. you. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I mean, it happened suddenly. Obviously, we were forced sort of to do it immediately. Uh, and it came together pretty seamlessly early on. Um, we had all of our files sharing and all that kind of stuff already on sort of the cloud-based service. So that all was very easy to do. Um, and the other benefit is our whole team is relatively young. Um, so they're all very tech-fluent people. I think that was also key is you know, we didn't have a bunch yeah. of... Yeah, we didn't have a bunch of older people that didn't necessarily. So that helped. Not um, people so, like myself that, you know, draw on a drawing board. Yeah. Exactly. How, do I, how do I scan that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we, we were already pretty digital focused firm. Yeah, right. Um, and, um, and so the way that it works and how we've gotten over sort of the distance part creativity wise and current firm culture. Mm. Uh, so every, every morning we have a, a standing meeting, like a Google Meet meeting. Um, that we do every morning where we just sort of talk through, you know, how's your night? You know, what are you watching on TV? The sort of the typical stuff that you would do when you come into a typical workplace, right? You just, you kind of just say hello for a little bit. Like uh, a talking machine chat, you know? Exactly, exactly. So we just do that for a few minutes and then we kind of go one by one. All right, what are we working on today? You know, I'll sort of say what sort of came in over the night and kind of what we're working on. Um, And then, um, we just sort of work, go into our daily thing and we have a, a Google chats um, where we use just the chat function for just quick things. And then we'll hop on zooms where we can sketch on the screen and do stuff like that. So um, it, it's a very sort of real time thing. Um, and so the workflow goes pretty smooth because really before, if you go to most architecture firms, you'll find most people with headphones on listening yeah. to music at their computers for 80% of the day. Yep. And so that's still sort of the thing. And that other 20%, we just sort of adjusted with our little chats and, you know, our Zooms and that kind of stuff. And then in terms of uh, connecting as a team, what we do is we use job sites for that. So we'll, oh, rather than sure. just one person, rather than just one of us going to a job site, the whole team will go there and we'll talk about the build and we'll say hello. Maybe we'll grab some lunch and we'll do yeah, that, nice. you know. That's, uh, how you do, that's how you do your team culture piece to reconnect. And so what would you do that weekly or would you do that? We've, every couple of weeks every couple of weeks i would say we do that yeah. um and then every couple of months we'll do like a field trip kind of thing so like we're doing some projects up in northern arizona and so we spent an entire day looking at you know native american ruins uh up in uh, northern awesome. arizona a few job sites so we, we'll do like a full day kind of thing and so it's it's kind of switched from rather than having like maybe 10 to 20 minutes during the day where you kind of turn around and talk to someone is kind of more like every week or two, it's like a few and, hours. And, and, inten- and more intense, not intense in the outcome, but just more time 
quality time together probably rather than just the Correct. little and i love that fact that you do that like standing meeting um yeah that standing yeah, the same meeting. meeting is just it's on the calendar so you just click in at 8 30 uh the running joke we have is someone is late we'll just say like were you stuck in traffic is that's sort of yeah, the yeah, yeah. um but, between uh, the bathroom the bathroom but, uh, and your office space yeah just lost you there mm, yeah exactly cool. oh there it's good um yeah so we do that and then the other thing we do is every week um an individual team member will do a team talk uh monday morning and okay. so it, rota it rotates so you're basically doing one a month uh where you just come in and you give a little 10 minute presentation during that monday morning team uh meeting about what? something that's interesting. Oh, okay. You. Not it's not a critique of anything or anything like that. It's just it could uh, be if you wanted to be. critique something, you could. It's it's usually architecture related, just because yeah. that's what we do. But you know, it could be anything. It could be you know, you're watching The Bachelorette and you wanted to talk about <laughs> talk about that. Then like just you know, what what I really like is I like people that are passionate about things. I don't really care what someone's passionate about. I just like that just people are passionate about. That. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent. They've got to be alive and breathing, and 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 having a purpose. That's what makes yeah. the difference. A, a sure. good um, a good friend of mine's on the podcast, a guy called Bruce Campbell. And uh, if you find the episode, it'll be back a little while. He's a, a specifically a business coach, and um, he has a thing called a whiffle, which is what what do you feel like expressing? And so yeah. one of his things is is that you do a whiffle. And then a whiffle, there is nobody who can um, interrupt you. You, you. Nobody interrupts a whiffle. And um, with it, it would be like, uh, I would say, Kelman, what do you feel like expressing? And you would tell me what you feel like expressing. And that could be how you feel about the day. Could be that you didn't sleep last night. Could be anything. And it could be anything that's troubling you as well. Or it could be that somebody pissed you off because they did this or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then there's no right of reply. And then they say, thank you. And then you would say, Adrian, what do you feel like expressing? And that is still isn't necessarily a right of reply. It's right. just, what do I feel like? And everybody goes around. He's huge on team culture and a hugely successful business from doing it. Um, and just pulls those pieces down and, he does it with his wife. I do it with my wife as well, probably not often enough, but he does it with his wife. He'll go, he'll feel this tension and he'll go, yeah, we, we should have a whiffle. <laughs> That's and, or no, she'll that. do it, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, what do you feel like expressing? And it, it's so that they can, everybody can get that brain dump out without rambling on. You know, there's yeah. another, and then they choose who goes next. If it's whole family or if it's a whole firm, they, they would choose, you know, so yeah, I might be there and I go, so Claire, what do you feel like expressing? Yeah. You know, that's that's, great. Um, that's cool. yeah, it's a really interesting little thing. I don't know whether it's on the podcast where we talk about whiffles, but it's a really cool tool. And it, you, when you're standing meeting, that's what you would do. It'd be like, okay, we're going to have a whiffle. Okay, da 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 yeah. da 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 And if, if you've got something, that's when you're going to say it. Um, right. But then, then nobody interrupts. That's great. So, yeah, you get heard as well. I suppose that's another part of it.
Um, I really love this team culture thing and, you know, doing things like making sure you get the field trip in and um, the job sites thing, I think it's a really, really cool thing. So instead of, you know, just one person going or two people meeting there, if you go, we'll all go and everybody's, um, everybody sees what's happening as well. It's it's really nice. It's a great way to connect people and and it's a learning opportunity because as you know, in the industry, so many people are stuck behind their desk or whatever. And to see stuff built is a completely different uh, thing. And so it's, it's great to just have everyone discuss, you know, Oh, maybe we could have done that better. Or I like how this, you know, the light falls here, or, you know, you start to do that kind of stuff. Everybody gets a, a piece of the wonderment because it is always amazing when, you know, this thing that was conceived in your brain suddenly standing in, on the, yeah. on a lot somewhere or wherever exactly. it is that's exactly. really cool and then how do you um with that with your all being separate how do you interact with your clients and suppliers how does that piece happen and so so where do you do client meetings as such what happens with that so yeah we've actually never had a public office um so we've always worked out of our sort of home studio um, and, uh, so we always would either meet at clients' houses, um, you know, because that's typically what we do, um, or, you know, even at a coffee shop or something. But now what we've been doing, which has been great is we just do a zoom meeting like this sure. for not 90, 95% of our meetings, unless it's on a job site. Um, and the benefit to that is it saves so much time because we don't have to drive to, yeah wherever we're going, even, even the closest job site, you know, 10, 15 minutes each way, you know, getting ready, getting out the door, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. As um, an hour gone. And so, yeah. And so now we basically have an extra, you know, 30 minutes to work on that project rather than just trying to get to it and get back or what have you. And so it allows us to really spend more time doing the work than, you know, physically going places. And for the meetings, it's usually just myself. Uh, that does it. Um, sometimes Claire as well, um, yeah. but the employees don't don't typically um, join in on on those meetings. Occasionally, yeah. depending yeah. on the job, um, but uh, it's usually just myself. Yeah, cool. It, it, it's interesting. We do the same because where we've got remote jobs, um, yeah, we we just deal on Zoom. Um, that's what we do anyway. We you know we yeah. just we just and deal the clients on Zoom. like it too. Yeah. The clients like it because they can do it on their lunch break. Mm-hmm. You know, they could be at mm-hmm. work. They could each be at their different office or wherever they are and, and hop in on the Zoom. And so scheduling, because scheduling with homeowners can be difficult because they typically work <laughs> when we work, you know. And uh, we're very strict about we don't work after 5 p.m. and yeah. we don't work on weekends and stuff. You know, we, Claire was great early on. She was like, because I was could be a little bit of a workaholic. Claire was early on was like, look, we need family time, we Some need personal time, there, man. Yeah. here are the boundaries, not after this time. And we've stuck to it for most of our career, pretty much all of the career. And um, it's, I'm very thankful for it because I, I think it does reduce burnout. It sets boundaries. Yeah. I think it makes you look more like a professional too. You know, um, I think too many people in our industry kind of bend over backwards to sort of uh, make time for you know, mm-hmm. another profession. Let's just, let's just mm-hmm. say it's a doctor. And it's like, but the doctor's not going to open up their office late for you. To I was come about in, to right? say, you know, so are they going to pop around on Sunday morning to, you know, um, right. or, or open their office? No, they won't. Yeah. And it's a really right. good point so about I think, the professionalism. 
Yep. So yeah. we did, we started that very early on and, and, and people do it, you know, if yeah. they don't want to do it, then sorry, but, but well, when almost you, everyone does it. You think of the weight of, um, of the task of architecture and, you know, especially you do residential and with that, mm-hmm. and even if it was commercial, big commercial may be different, but, um, if it was small commercial or residential, they're spending or investing considerable amount of money into the project. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only they're investing that money into the project, they're investing when it's their residential home, they're investing it into their life and their lifestyle. Yeah. And if they're going to spend a million dollars on a house or you know whatever the amount of money is, um, then it's worth the time to do it right and worth the time to invest. And if, if, if it's not important enough to take an hour off work uh, to get to the meeting and, and make that happen, and especially, as you say, with Zoom, it makes it doable, um, you know, it's, it's like going, well, I won't go to the doctor until, you know, Sunday afternoon because that's the only time I have free. Makes no sense. Beach froze. 32. Can you hear me? Kelvin. So I want to skip to, um, you know, the, the, the thing of architecture is, is you get to put something into nature. You know, you, yeah. this is part of what we get to do. And hopefully um, we do it really well because it's going to be there for a little while. Yes, um, for a long, long time, but uh, it's, it's at least <laughs> going to be there for a little while. Um, you know, tell me about some of the projects, like, you know, something like Belize. You've got a project in Belize. How did it come about? And, you know, it's very, very different, clearly, yep. than it is to doing something in Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, so um, it came about in that we do um, a lot of work uh, with our projects. Once we finish a project, we spend a decent amount of time uh, putting it into publications and, and doing press and that kind of stuff on our, on our projects. So we have a pretty wide reach with where our projects go. Um, these clients actually, though, were local, uh, but had found us in, uh, I think they saw us in Dwell Magazine and liked one of our projects and then started to sort of follow us and what we did. Um, and then they bought a property in Belize because they plan on moving down there at least part of the year, if not uh, more as they sort yeah, right. of get more familiar with the area. Um, and so we met them and they, uh, they hired us to do a, uh, it's a house with two casitas um, on an island called San Pedro, or it's Ambergris Key is the island and then San Pedro is part of the island. Um, and so it's right on the beach. Um, you know, the water is part of the, pretty much at the property. You have to be back like 20, 30 feet for, yeah, sure. um, everyone has access to the beach, but it, it's right there. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it's uh, super fun. I was down there very recently, um, uh, checking out the, and just learning what we love is we love nature and we love trying to find out sort of how each climate and environs works. The, and study, then, the study of the environment and then that really micro localized environment where the house is going to be. 
and correct it's free yeah yeah and so like yeah there's the i actually stayed at a there's a place a villa next door that rents out rooms that i stayed at so i stayed literally next door to the property so i could sort of see it throughout the day see how people walked by and did all that kind of like what kind of public access there sure. was and then you start to hear locals say like oh i think there's gonna be a hotel next door so there could be something that's six stories tall next door to the property and so you start to figure things out that way and then the fun is really taking the what the clients love to do with you know what they enjoy mixing it with the specific property and then coming up with something unique that fits both of those well for sure uh, because these clients you know they don't necessarily live there um, or haven't yeah. lived there and so you're creating another chapter and a journey in their lives which um you don't want to just take the house from phoenix and put it in belize um, right. yeah. you know it, it's actually it's an exploratory adventure on both sides which is in a new landscape and in a new environment yeah and that's and that's what's so fun really about what we do is you know we we have a questionnaire that we have all of our clients fill out before we even meet with them or take on a project that has a lot of questions sure um but it goes way beyond just sort of like what do you want but we answer the why factor like we have a question like what's the mission what if you get a mission statement for your new home what would it be yeah right. and we try to right. we try to get to the core of what what really moves them um and and then from that we can sort of shape things and we, and we found also that like language in a way sometimes also restricts the way that people think about housing it's like oh i need four bedrooms and two bathrooms and and you know it's like if you ask someone to design a bed it's they're all going to look pretty much the same yeah it's going to be x but, feet wide x feet long and x feet high yeah right and if you <laughs> but if you but if you were to ask someone to design a place for rest right now the the possibilities open up and they're very similar questions design a bed or design a place for rest but yeah. the language that we use really affects the outcome of what it could be. And so by trying to find different questions and different languages and that sort of stuff and, and how they talk about things, we kind of try to get to a different way. And that then ultimately hopefully shapes a, a home that is more um, suited to them and in their life. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. I really love that, that just that shift of, you know, like a bed or um, rest and, yep. You know, it's like um, I'm big on the, the kind of wellness um, aspect of architecture and how it delivers it to the human being as well as the materiality of it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And, you, you you know, like you look at different rooms and what's the room's function first, you know, what, what and then how will you function in that space? I really like that. That yep. little shift, that subtle shift in, in the language yep. brings a whole nother picture to the to the table. Yeah, it just opens you up to, because really, you know, words describe things, um, but oftentimes we're focusing on sort of the noun as opposed to the verb, Yeah. right? And so we're trying to shift it more towards the verb and even, you know, the adverbs or adjectives rather than the noun. Yeah. And, and, and then we get more interesting results, I think, when you get to that place. Well, it certainly, it certainly shifts language and it certainly shifts people um, and how they, they behave. I love that. Yep. Really, really cool. Um, tell me about some of your other projects that, you, you know, that are embracing nature. Sure. Like, uh, you know, more yeah. than each front. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we've got a lot of projects going on, but there are some ones that are definitely more unique than others. We're doing a house in Phoenix um, that's on the 
the side of Camelback Mountain, which is a, a large mountain in the center, kind of in the center of the city. Um, and uh, the back of the house actually is uh, goes into the mountains. There are caves that are, there's two caves. One's probably, you know, 40, 50 feet deep and 30 to 30 feet wide, maybe 20 feet tall. And then the other cave is probably about 50 feet deep and, but it's maybe 30 feet tall, a little bit taller, um, a little bit narrower, maybe 20 feet wide. And so um, there's two caves in the home and that's a very interesting <laughs> design challenge of um, when the original person did the home, it was so, this so it's guy. Renovation. It's, it's a renovation. Yeah. It's a, a basically a full, yeah, full remodel edition as well. Yeah. Uh, but the person who originally did it in 1990 or so, kind of just like blew out the mountain without really a plan. Um, it was a bit of the wild, wild west kind of uh, thing so going did on. Create, the first person created the caves. Created the caves, yeah. There wow. must have been something there originally, but I have yeah. original plans with the city, and they said that they, they basically just drew a line and said, like, we're going to create a cave. And for some reason, that was okay at the time. I don't think we could do that now. <laughs> that? Um, <laughs> try, try getting planning consent today for that. <laughs> yeah, that was, there's there's all sorts of things there. Um, but, uh, but fortunately, they're there, and, and we're going to do something cool with them. So that's a really fun challenge of how to how to work in caves. And, so with that, you know, like, just I want to go back to some other, but like, um, flip to the materiality that you match in with a home that you do that with. You've got like this rock that's uh, yeah. got a hole in it behind you. Um, mm -hmm. It have a very in incredibly temperate climate in there. Yeah. Um, I imagine it's perfectly dry. Yeah. Um, and then what do you do when you stick it out in the sunlight? Like what happens when you get outside of the hole? Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, working with the mountain. And we did a, we did a house that was actually two doors down from this house that sort of backed up to the mountain. So we're very familiar with the with the location and stuff. And what we do with that house material wise is I've never been a fan of trying to a lot of people's go to is let's try to kind of almost make it look like the mountain. Yeah. Where it's like if 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 the mountain the mountain's like pretty red, it's like a reddish kind of rock. Mm -hmm. uh, they kind of like will do like a reddish kind of home up against. I've never been a fan of that. And so what we did with the previous home is we used um, uh, like a travertine on a lot of the home and, and we and we thought of the home as like a vein in the rock so when you look at these mountains and stuff over time they've sort of settled and you can see these veining yeah whether sure. it's either, whether it's there or other areas in arizona have great veining from the grand canyon to stone places like that yeah and so we thought of the home as like a vein in the rock like this is a moment in time that we're sort of creating in this space rather than trying to mimic you know the, millions of actual, years of yeah, mountain yeah. building yeah, yeah we're just adding a little a little vein to it we're just adding a little yeah. story to it um and that's sort of been our approach with this one as well uh as well as introducing glass and, and, and some other stuff that helps yeah. um but uh, but yeah it should be should be really fun I'm looking forward to seeing projects of that that sounds really yeah. amazing so tell me yeah. about an, about your other cave house um yeah You've got another. We're doing a house in Tennessee, eastern Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee and the west part of Tennessee is kind of flat, more like mm -hmm. uh, central. And then the eastern part, it gets more mountainous. Um, and so this area is kind of hilly. Um, and there's a river that runs through the site. And the river creates a waterfall. Then under that waterfall is a cave um, that originally was, I think, used for like parties in the 20s, like bootlegging kind of uh, parties uh, back in the day. 
lovely bit of history yeah. there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So there's some interesting stuff going there. So we're building some cabins along uh, the river as well as a house that sort of looks at the cave. We're not actually touching this cave in, in the river, uh, but we are going to add some elements to where guests that go there can explore and use the cave in a way that's, that's elevated. Maybe so we're, we're working. A bootlegging parties in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a bring, bring your own kind of party, but. Uh, yeah, a little bit uh, of moonshine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's uh but it's a different kind of cave. It's, you know, it's, it's a much well, different it's, rock. It's, it's, it's a, a different wet cave as well compared to a, a dry wet... cave. Yeah. Correct. And so we're having to deal with, with that as well. And, and, and that one's almost more of a landscape intervention sure. um, than, uh, than architecture per se in where the cave is. The, the buildings are more, more architecture, but we're sort of just plopping these little cabins in the, to the trees. It's a very heavily wooded site. So you're going to kind of, and it's they, uh, almost they'll like- be rented? They'll be yeah, rented. they'll be rented. Yeah. And the, and the cabins, what we did is we broke them down to where there's like three pods. There's a sort of a living living kitchen pod. There's a sleeping pod. And then there's an outdoor living pod and they're connected by uh, walkways, aerial walkways. So you're kind of like tree houses almost yeah, in, cool. uh, go along. And that way also they can site them without having to cut down trees. Really you can kind of move the pods and then connect them between the areas 100%. that are empty. So, yeah. And, and you're yeah, pretty so light, pretty light touch on the, uh, on the environment. Very light. It, yeah. They just touch the, you know, there's just four columns that come down yeah. on each pod. Uh, everything else. So the slope and all that kind of stuff is, isn't uh, touched at all. Um, and so, yeah, those will be uh, rentable places. I think that's starting construction probably closer to the end of this year. Um, oh, so another, well. another phone. Yeah. 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 Well, that, yeah. that kind of cool, like, you know, different sorts of projects and a lot of fun to work on um, to have things that have that diversity, you know? And yeah. That's really what we look for is diversity and project type and client type, just different course. people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, people that um, bring something different to the picture. But I think that's a really, um, I, I took this from Jeffrey Dungan, who's on one of my earlier podcasts, and he said, you know, um, we're talking about great projects. And he said, you know, I'm not looking for great projects. I'm looking for great people. And yeah. um, great people have great projects. That's, yeah. And if you can get great people, then there is, there's a, a real joy in um, discovering that going on the adventure, as Tom mm -hmm. Condick would say, go on the adventure with them. The adventure is where we're trying to get to. For sure. Um, yeah. The client, the project, Projects come from the clients. A lot of people think that it kind of comes from this master architect's brain, but it's really coming from the clients. And I see ourselves more as like, we're almost like translators that are fluent in architecture, yeah. right? Like it's their life. We're just translating it into a building. Yeah. Um, and, and so the and, more interesting. And the environment, you know. And like, the environment, yeah. Yeah, just pushing those two together to create this. And the more interesting the person or the more fabric they have to the life, the bigger the story. And then how do you make the, how do you pull that story together? How does that story exactly. become their story? It's a chapter of their, you know, I love the, um, you know, the, the rental property type thing. I'm a big fan of, I don't know whether you know, the urban cowboy and Dare mountain Inn and mm -hmm. those things, you know, that uh, those hotel chains and certainly, um, you know, Liz Lambert's work as well with her hotels and stuff. Um, I'm as a massive fan of that because they're experiential and you get to play in an environment at a different level. Like when you're doing these cabins, you're taking people into something they wouldn't necessarily have in their own home. 
And so the approach of it shifts, which I think is really fabulous. Yeah, the, the experiential spaces are something really special, you know, and there's some big fan of these guys that create these. And, you know, people are recognizing, and I think COVID's had something to do with this as well, is that there is accommodation. That's one market genre. And in the business sense, there's accommodation. And then there's experiences. Mm-hmm. And people will pay for an experience more than they'll pay for accommodation. And yep. you're delivering them something that is um, putting a, a stamp in their mind. It's something yep. that takes them somewhere else. And to do those kind of properties, we do the odd one, but where you get to do that is really fun, like really fun to. Yeah, it's great. And what I love about it too is it gives people the opportunity to experience places in different ways and maybe think outside the box a little bit. I think um, most of our clients are, you know, say are like kind of like pioneers. They're yeah. um, people who are pushing the envelope and most people are much more conservative, especially with large purchases like a home. Um, but I think what these are doing is they're showing people are staying for a week or so at one of these places and saying, you know, I could live like this. You know, why do I have to live in this box? Uh, I, I could do something maybe more interesting. And I do think it's actually opening people up to living in new and unique ways. So from a business point, I actually love the fact that there are a lot of these popping up where people are starting to get out of your sort of typical hotel and more into these sort of interesting experiential type places. And then I think they are starting to bring some of that back home. I I agree. Like, you know, I, I, I think that what it is doing is it's making uh, interior design and architecture more exciting because of this experiential thing. We did a house... Um, Oh, a couple of years ago here, and it has a swim-up bar in the pool. It actually nice. has three bars, and, and it's not that they have a drinking problem. It's just <laughs> it's a large house, um, and each one has a different experience. So there's a swim-up bar in the pool, which yeah, gets used in the summer. There's another small bar, but that's totally part of the outdoor kitchen and outdoor living area, you know, so you've got like, you know, slow roasting um, area and you've got this and a bar that you can stand behind and you can watch TV if you want and stuff like that, sports bar almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's got a different name from the pool bar. The pool bar's got a name and that bar's got a name. And then they have a theatre in the home, um, which is just like a big media room, but it, it is large. Um, and for that, uh, my client was in France at the t- he He was doing some work in France. And anyway, he hooked up with a guy and went to the antique um, markets in Paris and bought a bar, which was because you can buy old bars. That's easy. And this thing's, uh, it's big. Bought a bar, which got containerized and bought back to Australia. And that that bar is, yeah, that bar is, um, it's called the Morehouse Bar. Um, It is in their theater room so there's a bar at the back which is you know fully shelved out like you've gone to a bar Mm -hmm. uh, like a little (laughs) boutique bar and then it's got this beautiful french old french antique bar and then as you look out from that then there's seating and stuff and the screen and all the rest but you can go there just hang out for a drink um in there so again very much an experience so that bar's not open all the time clearly um but it has its time when uh, they go, yeah, look, this is, you know, come to the bar, come through here. 
and you get to enjoy a whole nother experience in the home. So, man, I've got one last question because this has been a fascinating chat. I've loved the pieces on team and team culture and how you've done that and how COVID's worked with that. Also, a few hiking tips. And um, I challenge anybody who's on there that's in the audience to give us their um, cave story. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> their cave story as well. I love this question. And it's if, if you had one project, after that, it was done. You've, you're finished. You can't do another project. What would you choose to do with this one last project? And who would you choose to do it for if you know who you do it for? But just one last thing that, you know, after that, you have hung up your hat. You, you, can't, you can't work. Gotcha. Again. This is done. And, and I, I want to throw a little little piece in there about um, Lego stadiums. But that may not yeah. that may not be the lead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, my my first just initial thought would be I would ask my daughter what she wanted, and probably just do that, just because ultimately, you know, it's for her. I, if I'm done, like I'd love to pass something on uh, for that. Um, in terms That's- of a type of project, if I if I had to choose for myself a type of project. Um, I think I'd want to do maybe something a little outside the box, like creating a world for like a movie or a franchise TV oh, wow. type thing. Um, I, you know, cause I think like what's really fat, like, like a star Wars or like some of those sort of things where it's um, because someone's designing all of those buildings and, and yeah, and, the worlds and, and yeah. Um, those seem to live on, indefinitely and i think um great stories need great places and and i think um to be a part of something like that that could be enjoyed by everyone around the world um indefinitely would be super exciting and uh, a really fun challenge to uh to create something like that i love that i love that yeah would you create it physically or digitally I think it'd be a little bit of both, ideally, because I'm sure a lot of it would be sort of CGI type, you know, yeah. uh, digital type stuff. But I think also you got to create the sets to for the close up um, type stuff that they're that they're shooting. So I think there's that's what's kind of fun about it is it's a little bit of both, right? You're probably creating some miniature versions of uh-huh. of the world, and then you're creating the huge big um thing and it could be di- like a star wars right you have different environments you have the different planets that yeah. are different whether it's the desert or the or the water or whatever it is um something like that would be fun plus it'd probably take a while so because i wouldn't want to stop so that might last you 30 years or something like that <laughs> exactly 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 this is one last thing but yeah just uh, yeah 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 i'm still I'll my take my time yeah exactly, exactly. do you know yeah. um my dad is a fine artist and uh, he's 93 now, but he um, he taught for a while. And when he was teaching at, at, in New Zealand at Wellington Polytech, one of his students is one of the founders of Wetterworks. And I don't know whether you know Wetterworks, but Wetterworks no, no. is one of the world's biggest special effects. And um, uh, it's um, movie... They don't make movies. They supply movies, if you look them up. Um, gotcha. And they're in Wellington in New Zealand. And like, I've had the pleasure of touring their, their facilities and stuff because, you know, my dad's sort of connected there. And they make 
movie props and obviously a lot of digital stuff. And uh, when you get a chance to travel to New Zealand, it's somewhere that you you should really go and enjoy that. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd the love model to. making is just insane. Like it's um, yeah. and it's like just like you're saying. Like, and something I never realized is is that the models remain the property of the. Um, and, and this could be a car or it could be whatever it is that they, they do. They remain the property of the, the place that makes them. Oh, well. Even though the movies pay them to make them, it must have something to do with copyright. So yeah. it, it, it means that they've got museums basically full of these um, props. Oh, that's I, cool. I love that answer. It was a really cool answer to be able to lengthen the time of uh, of your tenature <laughs> yeah <laughs> you could spread yeah. it out and also exactly the other thing that you know like my friend um leonard Fermansky, the the photographer pointed out to me he said you know architects need photographers because architecture doesn't travel you travel to architecture yeah. and so the way that architecture travels is through the lens of a camera um and yeah. I think that's a really valid point. And so, you know, good photography does that. But then also Tom Kundig made this point about the fact that there's all this shift in um, people employing for virtual reality, employing architects. So architecture now has a, it's not, it's, it's still the built form, but it might be digitally built form. And so gaming and all those kinds of things, because the way architects are trained in their spatial awareness and things like that has such a high relevance in creating these other worlds. Don't have to, and we don't have to deal with the engineer. Yeah, yeah, a lot less liability too. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Nobody falls down those stairs. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Man, that's been a great chat. Really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Really cool. So thanks. thanks for having me. Appreciate uh, it. Yeah, no worries, man. Well, I'm looking forward to coming and seeing a cave house and staying in, uh, also staying in Tennessee in the mountains. I'm a bit of a fan of Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah, I'll keep you posted. Cool, man. That'd be great. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, If it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of someone and then they went to reach out and then you you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you, see if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? 
Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.